This week's episode was with Nicole Quinn, a partner at Lightspeed Venture Partners. Lightspeed are one of the biggest US funds that have over $20 billion of assets under management. Nicole Quinn specializes in consumer and she's invested in breakout consumer companies like Calm Before. We love this episode because we got to dive into the specialization of consumer investing and talk about a really interesting past that saw her as head of equity consumer sales at Morgan Stanley. If you like these episodes, please, please, please send this to three friends and enjoy. Before we dive into this week's episode, a quick word from one of our favorite sponsors of the show. We love Racess. They're a company that makes ergonomic furniture for startups. They've helped thousands of Aussies and countless startups with better chairs, furniture, and even products like Nooks. Yeah, so before we started using Recess, Adam and I used to have a lot of back pain. Our, our share house is fitted out with pretty crappy IKEA furniture, and when we got the chairs from Recess, we immediately felt a difference. So we went from furniture like this, this rusty old IKEA, to this, these back-hugging ergonomic chairs. Recess have hooked our audience up with a discount. So if you're interested in getting your office or your home fitted out, message the guys at Recess and just mention the Sachin Adam show and they'll give you a great discount. Now back to the episode. Hello and welcome back to the Sachin Adam Show. Now today we're delighted to be joined by a guest who's joining us from the very famous Sand Hill Road in San Francisco. We're delighted to be joined today by Lightspeed partner, Nicole Quinn. Yeah, we just got a really exciting tour of the Lightspeed office just then um, on one of the famous places of Silicon Valley in the world where a lot of the firms are. And so Nicole is a general partner at Lightspeed Capital, which is one of the biggest venture capital funds um, across the world. They were started in the early 2000s and they've had some, I mean, they've had so many major investments. Um, And Nicole's had a really fascinating career as well, having worked in Morgan Stanley for over 10 years in equity research. Then you've been in a bunch of startups and now you've been in the VC industry for a really long time. So we're really excited to dive into today about a little bit about your personal life, but also about your investing and all that. And we thought we'd start on a more personal note today. And just to get to know you a little bit, how do you think your best friend would describe you, Nicole? Uh, So my best friend um, is CEO of a really terrific company called Divi Homes. Um, So $2 billion company, and she's been running it for five years. So she in herself is exceptional. So how would she um, describe me? I think Adina would say... I never accept no for an answer. Um, I run through walls and I really gravitate towards other people who are similar, Um, people who move really quickly um, and it works. That manifests itself as like shipping product really quickly and executing really quickly. But even like for friends, I love people that talk quickly and have super interesting stories to tell um, and just fascinating people where I learn something from them every time we talk. Um, One of the things I love about VC is the fact that you're learning little nuggets of the future um, every single time you speak to a fascinating founder. Um, She also would describe me as somebody who um, never gives up, um, is very loyal, um and you know we'll sort of stick with her uh through good and bad times always there for her in the tough times um so I think that's I try to be like my authentic self in any situation um so I think all those characteristics I bring to friendship as well as to sitting on boards 
And any kind of clues in your early life about where this comes from? Like, is it something innate that you grew up with this tenacity running through walls, this ambition? So my father's Australian and um, he grew up in the outback in Australia. And his first ever job was trying to break in wild ponies. Uh, so he would literally go and jump bareback onto the ponies and train them. Um, and uh, he trained those horses um, and he trained them to be race horses. And then his next job was he was Australia's number one barefoot water skier. And he would jump through rings of fire, um, James Quinn. And uh, so, of course, with this risk loving attitude, what was the natural career for him to go into? Ah, uh, yes, entrepreneurship. <laughs> you know, he went into entrepreneurship and he's been an entrepreneur his whole life. He did a test the other day. He's 82. He did a test and it said, he's going to live to 106. And he said to me, first thing he said, do you know what this means? It means I can do two more startups before I die. <laughs> 10 years at least. <laughs> so I definitely get a lot of these traits from him. Um, and so I love working with extremely ambitious, risk-loving founders because sort of like the way I grew up with my uh, extremely risk-loving entrepreneur of a father. Yeah, I think that's a great way to paint a picture of yourself. And that's so interesting because there couldn't be anything further from the career of entrepreneurship and venture capital. And from listening to podcasts and reading sort of blogs that you've been in before, I think another trait that strikes me about you is that you work extremely hard and you're extremely dedicated to the founders. Like you will take a call at any time and you love what you do. And just going a little bit further into that, why do you think you're so motivated or where does that ambition come from? Is this say derivative from your father's motivation and his personality or were there any sort of moments when you were younger that struck you and was that made you feel like yeah I want to be really really successful so growing up um we were either very wealthy which was a very small percentage of the time or completely bankrupt which was I think most of my childhood and so um my father there was no such thing as VC in you know sort of Australia and like the English countryside back then so um my father whenever he had a great exit he'd sell a company for like 20 million dollars um which was huge back then um in the sort of healthcare world that he was in but then he would take all of the money and then put all of it into the next venture he would never save any of it and he wouldn't raise any from outside investors. He would just put all of his own money in. And so when that company didn't work out, of course, it would all go to zero. And so it really taught me the value of money from a very young age. Um, and it talk, taught me to really be careful and do diligence and think through um, things and not put 100% of you know, your money from one venture into the next as he did. Um, and so, and I also believe then, and I believe now it's a real value that I teach my children, um, which is that the harder you work, the luckier you get. So I just believe in working really hard. I think that you never know one in a thousand company until you've seen a thousand companies. And so best way to do that is work quickly to meet a thousand good companies. And then you can know good from great and then the exceptional companies, so that's the way that um, I approach VC and life in general. And Nicole, one of your quotes, and I think this is up on the Lightspeed website, is we have two ears and one mouth. We should use them in that proportion. 
we, I, I've heard this saying a lot of times before, but I've never heard it directly as someone's kind of mo- um, quote they resonate with the most. Um, is there any experience that you've had that had led you to choosing that quote in particular as the one that you wanted to put on the website? I think it is a really important quote because um, other than this podcast, I am usually the person who is speaking 10% of the conversation and listening 90% of the conversation. And I believe it is a great board member's job to be a coach to the founder. So when I take on a board seat, I really believe that I am also a professional, a life, uh, a true coach to that founder, um, professional coach, life coach. And so all I really want to do is help them be the very best version of themselves. Um, and the way you can truly do that is by listening at least twice as much as you speak. And through not just listening, but truly hearing what someone's saying you can understand like what is at their core and what motivates them and what drives them and how they can be the very best version of themselves. And by asking the right questions, I think you can draw out some of those things. Um, And so there's lots of exercises that I do with the founders that um, I work with. And I tend to work with founders, you know, who are typically, you know, young in their twenties and thirties when I first start working with them. And then you know, at Lightspeed, we are very long-term patient investors and we believe in working with founders, you know, for the next 10, 20 years. Um, and so it's a long journey. You've got to enjoy each other's company and you've got to work with people who want to make you better um, and vice versa. So that's what I believe you can do by truly hearing someone. And just on that point of your intensity and the way you go about life and the values you kind of endow onto your children, how do you marry up being a good parent and an extremely good investor at the same time? I try to be really present with whatever I am doing at that time. So right now, talking to you two, there is not a single other thought creeping into my mind. I try to be really present. Um, and listen, this also helps investing in the meditation app Calm. Um, <laughs> and so I think Calm has really helped me to get to that present state by meditating, by listening to their amazing sleep stories at night. And so um, that presence allows me to, when I'm with my son at like, you know, 7am in the morning or 6pm at night, um, I'm truly present with him. And then I will be with my daughter as well. Um, but then when I'm in a board meeting, I'm really only listening to that founder. And I know that I've like done my research and, you know, spent a lot of time going through the board deck the day or two beforehand. And so that allows me to like both be prepared as well as then be present in the moment. It's the same with children. It's like, I'll be prepared. I'll make sure that I know exactly where they're meant to be and when, and then when I'm with them, I'm present in that moment with them. And we're going to get onto light speed in a sec, but before we do that, I'm really interested in how you sort of got the initial interest in technology. So obviously working in Morgan Stanley, you were covering a lot of IPOs of big tech companies. Was that just a really natural inclination after working with your father, father's online pharmacy and saying, I want to do more technology coverage, or was there another sort of moment that struck you and you realized that we're going through a wave of technological revolution and you're there in the 2000s? How did that work out? I think you're right that subconsciously it was having worked with my dad's online pharmacies that made me maybe gravitate towards that sector. 
Um, but I'd studied math. And so I went into finance. It was like the sort of natural thing to do. And this was pre-financial crash. So it was still like a sexy area to be in, um, in that area, uh, in that time. And so I went into it. Um, the first year I just did all UK companies, but the next year, yeah, I went into retail consumer. And then I started naturally going more into towards e-commerce, com covering companies like ASOS um, in the UK and, you know, companies like Boohoo. And then it was, as you said, like more of just like the straight internet names. It was great. We did the Pandora, Facebook, Groupon IPOs um, in London first and then New York. And so I would say it felt very natural, but it's also because of like the subconscious background. Sometimes I think that in life, it's good in your early days to think three career steps ahead um, and then think, what are the tools that I need to put in my toolbox to eventually get into that career? So I always knew, okay, I want to do something like venture. Um, and so I need to start a startup or I need to go to a startup or I need to get some financial understanding. Um, but in hindsight, it all played out like that. But at the time, it was just very natural. It was like, okay, I'd been angel investing while I was at Morgan Stanley. I loved angel investing. I wanted to do more of that. And then one of the companies said, hey, can you come here and like, you know, run marketing for us? And so this is really like building a startup, right? Because sometimes you can't see the woods for the trees. You're right in there executing every single day, shipping product, and you don't necessarily pull up and think like, where is my North Star? But it is so important to do so. And so very occasionally I did pull up and say, am I on the right path? Am I walking towards my North Star? And I think for any company or any life journey, it is important to both execute as well as pull up and look for your North Star. Yeah, it reminds you of that famous Steve Jobs quote about connecting the doc, the dots looking back, but they never make sense at the time. Yeah. Um, I've got a question um, for you around ideal venture backgrounds, because obviously you've been at Lightspeed for some time. You would have seen a lot of junior talent. And I think Bill Gurley has really popularized the whole equity analyst to um, venture capital pathway. Looking back on kind of the young talent that you've met, what do you think is the best pathway into venture capital for most young people? So I came out to America um, to go to Stanford, which brought me out to Silicon Valley. And I kept meeting lots of different VCs. And it was fascinating because they essentially told me their route into VC was the route into VC. So you'd speak to Vino Kosler and he would tell you, oh, you have to start a company like Sun Microsystems. You'd talk to Doug Leone at Sequoia and he'd tell you, you have to be a journalist. You'd talk to, you know, oh, sorry, Mike Moritz, the journalist. You'd talk to Doug Leone, he'd be like, oh, you have to do field sales like I did. Um, but then I came across Jeremy Liu at Lightspeed and he told me, no, everybody's personal way into VC is the right way. There's no one right way. And I think he's the right one. Because what Jeremy's essentially saying is like, think about your core right to win. And so if you're a young person, then maybe you have been an influencer before. Well, wow, lean into that when you're going into VC. Maybe you have been a journalist. Okay, write lots, blog lots. My friend Catherine Boyle, she was a uh, journalist before. And so she's a great writer. You should really lean into that. Um, 
And, you know, my friend Sarah Wang, she was um, in finance before and she's so amazingly analytical. So great. Go and do that. Um, do I do growth investments? Um, and so I think about that at Lightspeed. We have really put together like such a diverse group of people. Um, everybody has such different backgrounds. Some were founders, some were executives, some have been great, incredible investors for the last like 10, 15 years and really, you know, risen up through that. Um, people have really, and you know, some have come straight out of the military or other interesting backgrounds. But I think that whatever is true to you, you should lean into that because that makes you so much more interesting. That means that you can then become a specialist in that. And then this is something that's very true to Lightspeed, go deep, deep, deep into that specialism. And then you can become a much more helpful board member as a result of knowing that space inside and out. And so that is what we encourage people um, to do. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think the consensus now is that a good venture investor can come from anywhere. Like you can be a founder, a career investor. You can also be something a little bit odd, like a journalist. And you mentioned a few names of people there that were great writers and are now great investors. People like Catherine Boyle is someone I like really, really look up to. And you also mentioned Jeremy briefly there. And Jeremy's quite interesting because he's actually Australian and he wrote, I believe it was the first seed investment into Snapchat. And he's been a big mentor of yours, you've mentioned before. Can you speak a little bit about Jeremy's influence on you in terms of coming to life speed and how he sort of helped mentor you as you started out in venture? Yeah, Jeremy, um, I hope that every young person going into VC gets to work with a Jeremy Lou. Um, I think that is actually the best thing that you can possibly have um, because you need to work with your biggest believer. I always say like marry your biggest believer Make sure that the board members you invited onto your board are your biggest believers. Make sure that the person that you're working with or for in life is your biggest believer. That is when you're really going to excel. That's when you're going to do your best work. That's when you're going to get promoted and push forward into these bigger and better amazing positions. And so what were some of the things that Jeremy did? Um, I went everywhere with Jeremy at the beginning. Like it was a true apprenticeship model. Um, and so... I remember, um, yeah, I remember on a flight, he had uh, got like a business class seat, um, you know, maybe through points. Um, and I put myself in economy and he came back to the person next to me and said, hey, would you like to go and sit in my seat up in business? Because <laughs> I really want to sit with my friend Nicole. Um, of course, the guy was like, yeah, great. I would love to. <laughs> um, and Jeremy and I just like sat and chatted for like a six hour flight and um just he has so many great insights um and in tweetable form which i love i love the like short bite-sized pieces of advice um i went to every board member with him board uh i went to every board with him when he was a board member and then i started being the board member and he started being the board observer and he would still come with me but really make sure that i was in the position of power in those um boards which was terrific but also at the same time giving me that support um that i needed so I would really encourage everybody to have a true apprenticeship model early on in uh, being a VC and with someone who's your biggest believer. And in terms of that apprenticeship model, obviously partners at venture funds are very busy. How do you think you tactically go out and try and find someone like a Jeremy Liu for our audience listening? Um, it's so important to try and find a fund when they are thinking about hiring. 
So um, most of the time funds are not hiring. And so even if you are the most exceptional person, they're not hiring. But there is like this sort of magical time where funds are increasing AUM and um, also about to raise their new fund. Um, or maybe a couple of people have retired um, or not been a fit for VC. And so it's like, wow, there's actually a gap or maybe they're actually looking for somebody who is a growth investor or a SaaS investor or a consumer investor. And so you need to speak to them at the exact right time. It's a little bit like dating sometimes. You know, they say you need to find the right person, but you also need to make sure that their, you know, taxi light is on. Very similar in VC. Make sure that the VC's taxi light is on as well as you guys being a great fit. And so how do you know if it's on? Okay, well, that's just networking, right? It's like constantly being top of mind for the VC. So they come back to you when they are hiring or making sure you're speaking to others in the industry and they say, hey, by the way, Lightspeed's about to raise a new fund and I hear that this person retired. So maybe there's a great fit. Um, so it's just having eyes and ears everywhere it's blogging and being that top of mind person. It's constantly like reaching out to the person maybe, you know, every six months or a year and, um, and just being there for them. Um, so that, uh, you hit when it's the right time. Yeah. It sounds like a lot of work, but very worthwhile. And I think the world of venture is very competitive now. So a lot of the young people, even in Australia, everyone's sort of blogging. People have like podcasts, people are doing a lot of networking, coffee catch-ups. There's yeah, a lot of sort of boxes to tick. Um, and going into a little bit of your investing, I'd love to know what does it... So you do consumer investing and you were interested in that from Morgan Stanley, Angel Investing, now Lightspeed. What does a great consumer company sort of look and feel like to you? So when I think about the word consumer, I think about it in the broader sense of the word. So consumer to us can mean um, consumer healthcare, consumer fintech, um, as well as social marketplaces, commerce, very much consumer AI in this uh, environment, um, even like consumer SaaS products. Um, so I like to think about it as like, is consumer behavior and consumer brand a core part of this investment thesis? If so, this is still in the consumer space. Um, and so we've invested in, you know, some really great companies like an SMB marketplace, FAIR. Um, and FAIR was most recently valued at 12 billion. We got in maybe on a couple of hundred million valuation, like a sort of typical series B. Um, and FAIR, <clears throat> exceptional founder, uh, Max. And it's not direct to consumer but smb marketplaces i think are very much consumer because you have to think about it from like a consumer behavior perspective for both the retailer and the brand and like understanding that helps you to be able to be the best board member and to really truly understand that business to be able to do the diligence and invest in that company so um and then you've got incredible companies like beehive um you guys by the way should use beehive because i think it's a good idea to i think everybody should basically have a newsletter so even if you have a podcast it's great to also have a newsletter so that everybody knows about when the uh, next podcast is coming out and what's it about and so beehive powers that newsletter um but they also allow you to integrate ai in the same way that notion now has their ai product which is wildly successful 
And then it also allows you to monetize your audience through not just subscription, but also ads. And it's just really there for like high growth um, founders or creators or brands. Um, and fine, you know, they're monetizing mainly through SMBs or creators. Um, but in my mind, that's very much consumer. Um, but of course, we do love the sort of um, typical consumer marketplaces and social as well, uh, where we're heavily investing as well as AI. Yeah, I think tactically, that's a great way to explain the whole consumer landscape, because I see even with a lot of um, our portfolio companies like Employment Hero, Henry, the actual lens to which you run that business is more consumer lens. Like you have to manage CAC paybacks very carefully, as you would as a consumer investor, you're, you don't have as many sales reps. So you actually have to think a lot about like product-led growth and all these different levers that are usually more kind of under the consumer umbrella. So I like I like that lens of consumer being kind of a lot broader than you initially think. What do you think about you makes you a great consumer investor? I think we, we mentioned this at the beginning. Um, one of your most famous investments is Calm. Maybe we can approach this through the lens of the Calm investment. What did you see in that investment that other investors maybe missed? I like the I like the uh, latter part of the question because the former, you know, founders ask me this all the time, and I have to say I'm British and I'm self-deprecating and I do not like saying good things about myself. So how about I just introduce you to founders and they will tell you why they picked me over others. Um, so we can talk specifically about the calm investment like that I love. So listen, we made a mistake in calm. We did not invest in the series A. And because at that point it was a meditation app and we questioned how big is the TAM in this space? Um, how, what is the com competition like? Will it have the longevity that we look for? All these sort of questions and um, even around retention and engagement, quite honestly. But then by the series B, everything had changed. We deeply understood this business because we had basically met every other consumer subscription app. So what happened was they added on sleep. And when they added on sleep, the average time spent in the app moved from 10 minutes a day to 30 minutes on average for your typical user. And then the daily active users to monthly active users doubled. The retention was then best in class. I believe it moved to about 60%, over 60% actually, year one retention, similar for um, year two. And then um, it was just knowing the space inside and out, knowing the consumer subscription um, numbers of what is good, what is great, what is exceptional, allowed us to be able to analyze the business and then move quickly. It was having built a strong relationship with the founders. Um, I mean, the Calm founders are incredible, incredible founders, like some of the best, you know, this is not their first um, company, this, they've uh, done multiple of the companies before, but they're also incredible humans and we adore them. And um, my husband's godfather to their uh, children and they are godparents to my son. So we go on holiday together and I adore them as human beings as well. So I used to believe don't mix business with pleasure, never invest in companies where you're friends with somebody. But it is my single greatest regret not having invested in more friends' companies. 
Because when you are friends with somebody, you know them inside out. You know the chip on their shoulder. You know what drives them. You know exactly what they're going to be like under pressure. You know what they're like after a few drinks, if their personality changes in any way. And so you know whether you want to invest in them or not. Um, And so many of my friends have gone on to build great companies. And I'm glad to be an investor in Calm. But gosh, there's, you know, an anti-portfolio out there of, you know, great, great friends who I uh, wish that I'd invested in and maybe we still will. Sasha and I can completely relate on that. I think we've probably got like 10 to 15 friends that one day when they start companies will want to invest in. And like we spent so many nights out together, like we've gone on holidays with some of them. So like you said, we know what drives them. We know their behaviors. Um, I think that's really wise. And I think one of the things about consumer investing is having a very good finger on the pulse of sort of pop culture and what people are just using every day, what they're finding interesting, what they're engaging with, which is quite different to say enterprise SaaS. And one of the things that your mentor Jeremy said was that he said it was really important to understand women and the apps that women were using early on, because they're often quite the early adopters of certain apps like Snapchat. Um, And I'm interested, like, how do you keep your sort of finger on the pulse of popular culture and start to hear early on about these apps that are getting popular? Because obviously, like, on the App Store, there's so much that you could keep track of constantly. Like, how do you hear about these things early? This is a good question. It does definitely relate to the question before. So um, on the question before, I also would add that something that makes Lightspeed um, a terrific investor across the board is it is that depth. It is really thinking about what does this company most need? And I'm going to go absolutely above and beyond to get that for them. And then it is also having that deep understanding of what is popular culture. Um, and so we believe that sometimes it is the crazy and the silly things that when you initially look at them, you're like, wow, that is a wacky idea that then go on to become a completely category-defining company or a generational change business. Um, So what do we do? You know, we're very much looking at all the sort of like teen magazines or the cosmopolitan magazines, Teen Girl, um, and reading that to better understand how Gen Z think about things. We're constantly speaking to um, young young boys and girls right because I would say Jeremy really did a lot of work on social and so then it is speaking to young girls but also we invest a lot in gaming companies and so we want to understand how folks who are Roblox users um, are really playing and engaging as well as you know all the other games and so we're that is something that's super important to us. Like, how is the world changing? How can we be at the forefront uh, forefront of that changing world? And where do we feel like popular culture is emerging? Um, we do believe in celebrities and influencers. That's something that um, we really believe in at Lightspeed. Um, and, you know, we've been on the board of the Honest Company with Jessica Alba, which went public some other companies which have reached real meaningful scale, um, you know, like Goop, like Lady Gaga's House Labs. And so for us, like, I would just say like, those are businesses where it is product first and the product is exceptional. So if you go into Sephora now and you try on Lady Gaga's House Labs, you'll be like, this is an excellent product unto itself. But then on top of that, you layer in Lady Gaga. Well, hey, you have a popular culture brand and also with a terrific product. So it's um, it's marrying those two things together. 
Mm. And you mentioned a bunch of things there about how you first find out about these products in terms of listening closely to people that are young, tapped into culture, thinking about engagement, retention, a lot of those sort of metrics. But understanding whether something is going to be big versus whether something's going to stay big, I find that to be really difficult. And so you, you've had a bunch of apps in recent years, the sort of be reels of the world, the clubhouse of the world that just propelled to mainstream culture very, very quickly. And then they sort of pulled back quite a lot and now there's a big sort of question over like are these going to be sort of long-term um long-term apps that people use versus you've got the facebook's and the instagrams of the world which they've just there's people have stayed engaged with them for so so long how do you think about consumer products and apps about whether they're actually going to have longevity in the market well firstly and i would argue most importantly is um is timing and so when you're in the middle of a new technological wave, well, that is a super exciting time to invest. And so the Facebooks, the Instagrams of the world were a long time before the clubhouses of the world. And listen, people thought, hey, because of COVID, people are going to switch to be listening more towards audio. And they did. But then it's surprising how quickly our pre-COVID behaviors returned. Um, and so audio never was the next big wave. But I tell you what it is, AI. AI is the next big technological wave, just as important as the one to web, just as important as the one to mobile. And so whenever you have one of those, well, then huge generational change companies will be built on top of that. Um, so that's what we're investing in. And that's what we're excited about right now and believe there'll be longevity around. Um, but also the other thing is remember like on your home screen app, like if you're looking at your your phone, then here, this is your home screen. You only have a set number of apps that can make up that home screen. And so once those apps get taken, well, it's pretty hard. It's like, what are you gonna do? Are you gonna move out Instagram for Be Real? Probably not. Do you have any more space on your home screen? No. Well, you move to the second screen. Then it's out of, out of. Um, if you can't see it, then you're not thinking about it, you know? And so then you stop using it. And that's exactly what happened to so many of these social apps that had a huge spike and then straight back down. So we have seen a lot of shark fin charts. You're right. Um, but um we are laser focused through our diligence of like looking at the retention, looking at the engagement to better understand which companies are not a fad and will be able to stand the test of time. Yeah. And Nicole, I think that's probably a good segue into our last question before the quick fires, which is kind of like, how do you see kind of building light speed going forward? Like obviously you're this historical venture capital firm on Sand Hill Road with some great vintages. What do you think you guys need to focus on in the next 10 years to continue to have exceptional returns to investors, but also build this kind of generational venture capital fund? Lightspeed has always been um, so consistent around its base. So we've always had like a top, top, you know, one, two, three enterprise VC, like early stage enterprise. We like to be the first institutional capital in, invest in the seed series A stage of enterprise. Then on top of that, we layered in consumer. And now we've layered in fintech and healthcare. And so we stay very true to our consistent base, but then we layer in 
these other areas after a lot of diligence and testing then we layer in and we never go into something and then pull out of it because we don't sort of go all in we test we do the diligence and then when it's proven we go in and so we've done that with other geographies as well we did that with India we did that with Israel we've now done that with um, Europe and so Europe was one that, gosh, we've been investing in for 15 years. Um, I'm on the board of Multiverse, which is a really terrific company we invested in about seven years ago. Um, but then about four years ago, we opened up a London office. Now we have a Paris office and a Berlin office. So we've really expanded. Um, and so we will keep testing, iterating, doing our diligence, and then moving into um, new areas where we believe we'll have significant outsized investment returns. Awesome. Yeah, I really like that approach of sort of gaining conviction first and then sort of going all in and then layering on top. And I think we're starting to see a lot of the sort of big VC funds in the US doing that. I think A6NZ sort of comes to mind of how they build on all these additional segments and eventually they often go to other geographies. Um, so we're going to go into the quick fire round now, Nicole. We've got a few minutes. Um, what we do here is that we're going to ask you a question um, and we're going to ask them in sort of rapid se sequences. Are uh, you ready for that? Ready. Cool. What's one of your favorite books and why? I really like the childhood book, Folks of the Faraway Tree by Ina Blyton, because every single day there's a different land at the top of the tree. Um, and this land is like going and playing a computer game or going into a new social world. And it can be all these different incredible things and it really lets your imagination go wild. Um, and to me, it's like, that is like the new version of pop culture or the new game emerging. And so it is thrilling and exciting. And to me, that's what consumer AI will be like. Love that. What's well, one of your favorite podcasts and why? Oh, well, you guys, 100% um, outside Australia, I would say my friend Harry Stebbings, um, who I actually just bumped into in France uh, <laughs> over 4th of July. Um, he's a really lovely guy and he does the 20 minute VC. Yeah, Harry's a big inspiration to us. Love, love his hustle and what he's done. What's one way that you switch off? Mm, I love swimming. Like I'm very good at meditating if I'm also moving. So for me, I find meditative swimming incredible. That's very big amongst the Australian VCs, as you can imagine. Um, <laughs> you guys have the weather to do it all year round. <laughs> What's your favorite consumer app that's not calm? Um, my favorite consumer app that's not calm, I really love Vinted. Vinted is um, an incredible business um, all across Europe. Um, and it allows you to buy uh, amazing vintage uh, clothing. Um, so really, really strong CEO and um, a great product. Cool. Um, and last question, we've talked a lot about principles of choosing a great company and you've alluded to some principles in choosing a great partner. If you had to give audience advice on how to choose a great lifelong partner, what would you say? I'm going to go back to marry your biggest believer. I honestly, you want to marry somebody who loves you so much and who really believes in you um, because it just makes every day so enjoyable. Like they just think the world of you and you think the world of them. You have this mutual respect. Um, and I would say when you're working with someone, you have to like, trust and respect them. 
I think with love, you know, with a relationship, you have to love, trust and respect them. Um, so make sure you have those three things in any relationship. Cool. Awesome. Great way to finish the episode. Yeah. Um, thanks for joining us, Nicole. That was wonderful. Yeah, that was a great episode. Really, thanks for coming on. I uh, know you have to jump to something else, but yeah, really <laughs> appreciated that.